to speak a little bit about finances just as an introduction into this message, or I wouldn't even say it's an introduction to the message. I just feel in my heart that I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, and as many of you know that we don't talk about money often. I haven't, I don't think in my web church for many, many years had any teaching on finances. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this is not because I'm in need of an offering or uh, trying to raise support for anything. It's simply because it um, concerns me when I look at just the world and the church ab uh, abroad uh, as a whole, uh, also in the Grace Church, what is said about finances and what people believe. Uh, to me, it's unbelievable, unbelievable that we can still think of tithing and sowing and reaping as a form of financial income in the church, uh, which it is, com it is not that. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about money and just give you a short overview on how money works in the kingdom and how money is supposed to and how generosity works in the life of the believer. And the reason I say this is simply that people can receive and walk in the freedom that God has planned for you. Uh, you don't ever have to feel obligated or guilty. Neither do you ever have to be in the bondage of stinginess and uh, in the mentality that you cannot be good to anyone or anything. God has come to bring freedom to man. So uh, I want to just touch quickly on tithing. And uh, like I said, you know, I, I, it is unbelievable for me to actually speak about this. It's not the norm. It's not what I do. And I don't want to. Like the Apostle Paul, I feel exactly like the Apostle Paul. They don't find Paul going around teaching a lot about money. And we also see his attitude about that is simply this. He doesn't want people to get the wrong impression about his ministry, thinking that he is in it for the buck, in it for the money. Paul actually said when it came to money in 2 Corinthians 12, he said it's not right for the fathers to, um, <clears throat> or for the children to care for the fathers, but that the fathers must care for the children. That's what he said in the context of financial provision for his mission trip to Corinth. So I want to say exactly the same, and I want you to know and understand this. I just believe that when it comes to finances in the church, <coughs> excuse me, that um, the whole thing about the worldly system wherein it is all about gain and all about what can you get out of that should never be around the church. It should never be there. It must always be something where it is what God can bring man and what God uh, comes and ministers unto man. So when it comes to money in the church, this is simply how it works. Jesus Christ gave his son to provide for us and to bring life and immortality to this earth. And when it comes to financial provision, he came and gave a very simplistic system wherein you can know that you will be cared for. He says, look at the birds of the air. Neither do they sow or reap or gather into bonds, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, look at the lilies of the field. Neither do they toil or spin or work hard, and not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of those. Now, that shows to you just the love that God has for us. Now, by that, I cannot guarantee every person and say that God is saying by that 
that everyone will have a Learjet and a Rolls-Royce and a Bentley and all those kind of things. That is not what it means. It simply means that God will take care of you and God will care for you. And practically we know how it also works through the writings of Paul and that is simply that you can have a job and work a job and God will provide for you that way. The second thing that is clear in the scripture is something called contentment. The Bible says that those, uh, those who are content, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, so the whole thing about the gospel, we don't find the gospel come and not, nowhere in the writings of Paul does it come and prosper, uh, uh, promise the church great prosperity. Great financial prosperity. You're all going to be millionaires. It is nowhere. It is simply not in the scripture. And any gospel that teaches that Jesus Christ promises Christians that they're going to be multi-millionaires, all of them, it is simply a lie. It is not in the Bible. What Paul actually says, he says, those who want to be rich fall into a snare and fall into many hurtful and foolish lusts. That is what it is all about. Now, I'm not saying by that that a person cannot be rich and that God cannot provide and care for him. There are people that, I mean, Paul says that. He says, command the rich to tell them that they must enjoy their riches and also be abundant in good works and in generosity. And that is what he teaches basically in a nutshell about giving in the church. Paul comes and this is how he, he teaches on giving. He says, listen. Let those that steal, steal no more, but let him work so that he can give to someone. And then he goes on and he says, to the, he says, command the rich, tell the people that are rich, that are prosperous financially, tell them, listen, enjoy your riches. In other words, don't go and live in guilt and all those kind of things, but never forget the good works of being generous and giving and supporting or helping. That's what Paul teaches. And that's basically what he teaches in a nutshell on money and on giving. All the other scriptures in the Bible where it talks about money uh, doesn't use a principle wherein he tries to teach people how to gain money by sowing or tithing or giving. He doesn't say that. It is simply not there. And, um, you know, I've made a study for about eight years on finances and looked at almost every verse. I think I must have looked at every verse in the Bible about this and it is simply not there uh, the, the principle of you give something so that God will give to you or you give something in faith in the finished work of Jesus and then God will provide for you it is not there it's simply not there uh, when we look at Corinthians we find that the people in Corinth only thing that took place there is they made a promise that they're going to give to the poor churches in Jerusalem and they didn't keep to their promise and Paul was scared that they will be hurt in the hearts of those in Jerusalem because they heard of this great promise uh, through the people from Macedonia. And uh, now the, the people in Corinth is not going to keep their promise. And Paul says, listen, man, please keep to what you've promised. And as you're going to give to these people, those people, you're gonna, what you're going to reap is great worship in the mouths of those people towards God for how God has provided for them. That is the context of it. And you can read um, all of that in my book, Jesus is the tithe. 
Now, Jesus Attire is available from my website for free in e-format. I want you to have it for free. Go there, and when, you, when it uh, prompts you to make a donation, just put a zero in there, and you can get it for free in e-format. And then, um, if you don't want to download it that way and you want to listen to messages, go onto YouTube, type in Jesus is the Tithe, and you will see all my messages on Jesus is the Tithe uh, come up there, and you can listen to that. Explaining to you how Jesus is the meat that came to the storehouse that had to be eaten in remembrance of God. That is all that it is. And um, lastly, I want to say this. How does money work in the church? You will see it, it's very simplistic. The Bible says that if somebody preaches the gospel and there are people that out of the love in their heart feel to give to a preacher, not because he is making use of a right to where he says, since I've preached to you, I've got the right to receive your finances and that you need a gift to me because that is also nowhere in the Bible. You don't find the apostles going and saying, since we are apostles, we've got a right that you must care for us. That's not there. The right that Paul talks about is that should you just preach freely and people out of the generosity that's born in their heart want to give to you, and they do, you have got the right to receive that. In other words, if, um, if I preach and somebody feel generous and they want to give money to me, I've got the right to receive that. And then Paul says he didn't even make use of that right all the time. If he thought that there were people that were going to be hurt by that, he didn't make use of that right. And that is the right of the preacher, if you want to call it like that. And then a normal church, and uh, 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 if you go to a church, there's certain costs involved in that church. And then if you love that church, man, contribute and give towards the expenses that is there. If they've got mission outreaches, if they've got outreach programs and those kind of things, how do you get involved in that? Very sim simply by having a passion born from God in your heart towards it and then giving. So, lastly, you don't have to give to get anything from God. Number two, um, if you, I mean, you don't have to give at all. If you live your life and you feel stingy and you feel that I only want to hoard up and I never give and I'm not involved in giving or generosity or any of those kind of things, I want to tell you there is a life with God where you can share in the quality of God's life where you can be a generous person. Go to God and say to Him, Lord, I can see Jesus gives freely and I also want to be like that and I'm open for you to bring that forth in my heart. And then you just follow what you feel in your heart as God brings forth that generosity. That might even take time. It's not going to be, well, I've prayed it today and now it's like that. It's a place where you really feel love for people and from that love that's born from God, you can then give. Now, that is how it works in Dynamic Love Ministries and I believe that is how it's supposed to work in every ministry. Glory to God. So, remember the book, Jesus is the Tithe. Right, let us get into the message for today. Today I want to talk, um, well, let me first put it this way. What you're going to walk away with after this message is simply this. You're going to understand a little bit more about the fivefold ministry and what that is all about uh, from a grace perspective and not from a, from a manipulation control perspective 
wherein we think that God builds his church on the office of the apostle and the prophet. Uh, what you're also going to understand is uh, who you really are and how to reckon yourself dead unto sin because of what Christ has done and so experience a brand new life. Okay, so let us start. I'm going to start, and I've mentioned this last week, 1 Corinthians 3. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, According to the grace of God which was given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For another foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now Paul comes and he says that when he preached in Corinth, he, like a wise master builder, he came, in other words, a guy that knows what he's doing, that's got all wisdom, he said, the foundation on which the church in Corinth would be built is the revelation of Jesus as the Christ. Now that's very important to understand. Those of you that uh, missed it last week, I'm just quickly recapping on a little bit of what I've said last week. We need to understand that the word Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It was not the case that there was Joseph and Mary Christ, and then they had Jesus Christ. When Paul was thinking of Jesus, um, and when he refers to Jesus, he doesn't refer to the Christ. And when he refers to Christ, he refers to Jesus' accomplishment and where Jesus is after his conquered sin and death. And I would like to explain that to you. The early church, or I don't want to say the early church, the Jews awaited a Messiah, and the Messiah they awaited was a person that would set them free from the Roman Empire or whosoever it would be that would oppress them. And what they then believed was that they could, uh, should, the, should they not be under the power of any nation, that God and this Messiah that would come to the earth and be revealed, which would be a strong political leader with, that could maybe have an army or things like that bringing through freedom, that this Messiah would then enforce the Mosaic law. And then through obedience to the law, and the sacrificial systems, and all those kind of things, they would bring peace to the earth as Jews. Remember that scripture in the Bible where Jesus said, you say you are a light unto the world, you are saying you are leading the blind, you know, and you can help them from not falling in the ditch, and all those kind of things. It's from that mindset where the Jews actually believed that they were the people to be a light unto the world, and to... Uh, show the love and the goodness of God and actually usher in Christ and, 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 and His coming, setting people free, not from the bondage of Rome, but actually the true bondage, which was the bondage of sin and death. So that was, in the Jewish mind, the job of the Messiah. The Messiah's job was to set the Jewish nation free from oppressors and then as the Messiah with the Jewish people, in control of the whole world and having dominion over the nations, they would then implement the best set of rules that came directly from the hand of God through Moses 
which they then believe would be the principles whereon the world will run in absolute peace and joy and prosperity. And they thought that is how the kingdom of the world will then be established. And some of these Jews, the sect of the Pharisees, they actually then also believed in a resurrection wherein there were people that wanted this but they couldn't have this because they were under oppression and since they awaited this that in the reign of the Messiah something supernatural would take place and there would be some form of a resurrection of the dead wherein this kingdom of God through the Mosaic law and nations and people obedient to this system will then um, will then what they've desired and since they couldn't have that they will be raised up from the dead and then be partakers of the reign of the Messiah. Now uh, we can see as I tell that that there is it's a very good type and shadow of what Christ actually came to do. Now when Jesus came and he was the Messiah he, we find that he was not just the Messiah of the Jews but he was the Messiah of all people. Now again, what would a Messiah do? A Messiah would deliver people from oppression and then bring peace and life to that nation and to the earth. Now what did Jesus come and do? What did he did? He came and he ended the oppression that was not just over the Gentiles but also over the Jews which was that of sin, sin and death. And that's what Paul's argument is so strongly in Romans. And he said that death, and also in Corinthians, he says that death reigned over everybody. From Adam unto Moses, death reigned over people. Even until that day, death was reigning over people and sin. And Jesus Christ then actually became sin and he took death upon him. Why? To be the Messiah of humanity wherein he would lead people free from the oppression of sin and the oppression of death. Now, when Paul comes and he refers to Jesus as Jesus Christ, he's coming and he's saying that Jesus is the King, or he is Lord. He is the one that has conquered sin and conquered death. Now, when Paul comes and he says that as a wise master builder, he laid the foundation in Corinth, which was Jesus as the Christ, what he means is he, he laid the foundational doctrine that Jesus conquered sin and conquered death and will bring restorative justice and manifest restorative justice in the earth, wherein he will restore the earth and restore man by actually in manifestation wipe away sin from people's lives and in the end the last thing that will in manifestation literal manifestation people's lives that will be wiped away would be physical death and once that physical death is even wiped away from the lives of the the people of God what will take place is even the planet will be glorified with the same incorruptibility that is inside the people of God. That is the foundation on which the church was built in Corinth. That is what it means when the Bible says that, um, that as a wise master builder, 
he uh, he laid the foundation which and no other there is no other foundation to be laid and that is that Jesus is the Christ so what he was saying is there was a man that was born from Mary physical man and this man walked the earth and it came to be that this man was actually the Messiah. And he was a Messiah not as the Jews expected, but he was the Messiah of all people because he didn't see the Roman oppression over the people as the oppression that he comes for. He didn't come to set the Jews free from the Roman oppression. He's come to set the Romans and the Jews and every person free from the oppression of sin and death that entered into, into this earth through the disobedience of Adam. And all of that was on account of uh, uh, Satan. That is how the whole thing worked. That's how Paul viewed it and that is what Jesus came to do in the earth. So when Paul went to Corinth, this is what I believe he basically did. He preached and said, listen, there was a man that conquered physical death. And there was a man that came and he was born of a virgin. He was the son of God. And, when he was the, and as the son of God, when he was here, he did signs, wonders and miracles. He actually became our son that this righteousness of God can be manifested in the world. And he preached the resurrection. I want all those that love to study the scripture, do yourself the favor and just type in the resurrection and see how many times in the book of Acts it's mentioned that they preached the resurrection. And what Paul preached and the foundation he laid in Corinth was that Jesus Christ will return and the, he is busy through his Holy Spirit manifesting the kingdom in the earth and bringing forth the first fruit of the kingdom and this Messiah will come and bring incorruptibility to mankind as well as be the one that washes away all forms of sin and bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is basically what Paul would preach. I'm putting it very simplistic, but that's basically what he would preach. We can see what he preached clearly in Acts 17, for instance, when he preached to the Greek philosophers there. So when the Bible talks about the foundation of Christianity and we want to know who we are and how we must relate to God and to one another, if you really want to know who you are in the light of Christ, you need to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Sadly, Jesus wasn't preached as the Messiah. We, we were preaching Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, but we never preached him as the Messiah. We preached him as the one that, that, that couldn't be the one that delivers from death. We preached him as the one that when we die, we go to heaven. And then we've died. Our bodies have died. And, and he couldn't reign and rule over death because we're just going to... I mean, we, it's funny what we believe. We just believe that everybody lives forever anyway. And then if you die, then you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And then what Jesus would do is he would be the one that can take you to heaven. And we thought that that would mean that he is a Messiah. 
That is not what the Jews understood under Messiah, and that is not what the Apostle Paul understood under Messiah. When Paul preached Jesus the Christ, or the resurrection, what he meant by that, and what he tried to communicate is the restoration of all things. That is what, and restoration of all things, this is what I mean by that. That there will be no more sin, that there will be no more death, that people will practically, experientially experience the life of God where they are saved from, from the fruit of the flesh, including death, and where this whole earth, even creation itself, will be redeemed from corruptibility and become incorruptible where there will be no decay and what he has planned from the beginning will manifest in the earth. That is, that is the message of Jesus as the Christ. It means that he has conquered the power of sin and death in human form and now with him as an incorruptible, above sin, human, at the right hand of God, we can now expect and see his spirit that was poured out on the earth manifest and start to bring forth the fruit of the kingdom in the earth. Glory to God. Now, with that in mind, we're going to go and look at Ephesians chapter 4 and the apostles and the prophets and what all of that is about. So, very important, the resurrection. Church, it is sad to say, like I said to the people in the church this morning, I don't want to say it's sad to say and let them leave sadly, but it's sad to say that when we talk about the resurrection and the restoration of all things, that the church is very confused about that. The, the church is at a place where, man, if I come and I put something on Facebook and I say, for instance, or social media, and I say, today is your day of breakthrough, or God loves you today, you can get 400 likes on that thing. But if I, if I write and I say that... Um, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, therefore you can expect a physical resurrection, and in that resurrection, and because of that truth, we can find an expectation rise in our heart wherein God's Spirit can set us free from sin and death in our lives, so we can experience the first fruit. You'll find 50 likes on that. Why? It's simply because people are not used to the word, uh, word resurrection. The whole claim of the church for such a long time has been heaven and not the resurrection, not the restoration of all things, not Jesus as Lord. I mean, Kenneth Copeland said it so many times, Jesus is Lord. But do we understand what, it's, what is meant when we say Jesus is Lord? means he rules and reigns over my sickness, he rules and reigns over my sin, he rules, rules and reigns over my death, to the point that even if I physically die, he will raise me up and that he will bring restoration to this whole earth, bringing glorification to the whole planet. Now, we need to understand that. That is the foundation. The foundation, Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Lord, or God as King. Amen. Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read from verse 5. It says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. And to each one of you was given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
Wherefore, he says, having gone up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. Now, listen to this. He says there's one baptism, one faith, one Lord. Uh, he goes on, he says there, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in you all. And to each one of you was given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So what he's saying is to each man was given the influential power according to what we are gifted with when the Son of God, Jesus, would become the Messiah and the ruler over the earth, wherein his rule of holiness and righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit is freely given to man, where man doesn't sit anymore and try and, uh, through his good works, create a life for himself or score points with God or whatever you could think of it. You know, the Jews didn't see the law as scoring points with God. The Jews saw the law as living the life God tries to give. In other words, the way they saw the law was, as you obey this law, it is a sign of the life of God that is actually in you and starting to manifest in the world. Well, we say we don't have to obey the law to, to, for it to be a sign of life in us we see Jesus resurrected and His Spirit brings forth that life truly in us. Eternal life. Amen. So, it says that to each man was given the gift of grace, or we are gifted, or we have been graced, or empowered by the Holy Spirit. How? Through Christ, through the dominion that Christ has over our sin and death. I said this morning, I want to say to you right now, God knows that you cannot leave your sin. Let me say it again. God knows that man cannot stop to sin. There are some people that say they can stop to sin. It's not true. That's why he even says, what's going on in your heart? How do you think about things? There's a wickedness in the heart of man and Jesus says that he will come and set people free. And they said, the Jews said, we've never been in bondage to any man, lying. They just lied right out there. And Jesus said, if you commit sin, you're a slave of sin. And I've come to set you free from enslavement to sin and death, where you can actually start to become part of a process wherein God, by His love and His work and His dominion and His rulership, bring forth kindness and generosity and peace and, in the end, physical immortality in your life by His doing. You know, we cannot, you can never, and just jumping back to money quickly, a person who sows money, having a harvest in mind, has never in his life tasted generosity. Never. Because generosity is in a place where you actually give from yourself knowing it's gone. That's generosity. And that can only be born from one who could give himself in such a way, which is God himself. So when God comes and he wants to deal with you, he wants to bring forth His life in you. And when man was under the rulership and dictatorship and enslavement of sin, 
which can be likened to Egypt and how they ruled over the Jews, he through his blood came and broke the slavery and led everybody out. And now that we are led out, as we believe this truth, we find that the power of our freedom manifests in our lives and we enter what God has always promised us, the promised land. Amen. So he came and broke the slavery over every person so that he, in his rulership, in his kingdom, can and by his power can rule over the sin in your life. You cannot stop stinginess. You cannot stop hatred. You cannot stop bitterness. You cannot stop alcohol abuse. You cannot stop drug abuse. You cannot stop the, you might say, well, I've stopped it with my 10-point plan. Maybe you've stopped the manifestation of that, but you will always hear people say, never go close to that thing because you are actually an addict, and when you touch it again, you'll be addicted again. It means in the heart, I haven't been set free, but in my manifestation, I've used, I'm using coping mechanisms to keep myself in a much better life today. But what Jesus is saying, and I'm not looking down on that, I'm, just, I'm not saying that uh, you must go and waste your life. What I'm just saying is Jesus Christ has come to rule over that. And we can look at ourselves from a completely different perspective. And I'll get into that now in Romans. Okay, so if we, is everything okay there? Okay. Um, when, when we look at Romans, uh, so I will get into Romans now. Let's just, Elena stood up and I don't know if she wanted to say something to me there. Right, so let's get to um, Ephesians there quickly again. It talks one God and everything and then it goes on. It says, and he gave gifts unto men. And then he goes on here and he talks about the fivefold ministry. This is very important. And, and he went up, it says he went up and he first went to the lower parts of the earth, meaning he brought exaltation to man and who is now coming and giving gifts to the earth. And this is the gifts he gave. He gave apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, pastors and teachers unto the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, till we all may come to the unity of the faith and of the recognition of the Son of God to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now what he's saying there is, he doesn't say that the fivefold ministry, he doesn't say that those people are there to actually manifest and bring forth uh, people into maturity. He's not saying that. What he is saying is very simply this. He is saying that this fivefold ministry is there to get the people to a place where, which is called the unity of the faith. And in those days, the unity of the faith was simply this. Believing that Jew and Gentile are equal and that both are in unity that he took the two, Jew, Gentile, and made one new man. Even in the church today, it's not believed like that. People still believe that the Jews are the special people of God and oh my goodness, and I don't want to bash a certain nation, but in America, I love Americans. I've been there so many times. You've been so good in my ministry, but I want to tell the Americans, wake up, get out of this Judaism thing. You don't have to suck up to the Jews to be something. No person has to do that. The God has come and He wants the church to come to the unity 
of the faith and the unity of the faith explained in Ephesians. I've translated Ephesians, or I don't not translate, I've got a paraphrase of Ephesians out, took it from the beginning to the end. When he talks about the unity of the faith, he's coming to say, Jew and Gentile are all sinners and Jesus took sin upon him and so unified both in one man Christ where there's neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. And he wants the church to understand that. The job of the fivefold ministry, the job of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers is to teach the church that there's no such a thing as Jew-Gentile separation from each other. It is all in one man, Jesus Christ, wherein he is now the Messiah of the people of God, which is us. Amen. That is what the unity of the faith actually means. So, um, and this is, if you ask, who am I? You are no more Jew, no more Gentile. If you really want to ask yourself, this is what the message is about. Who are you really? I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Gentile. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, Paul says. But a new creature, there was a new creation. God recreated man to a new kind of a, I don't want to call the species, but something like that. A new being, that's what he did. To the unity of the faith, to the recognition of the Son of God, the perfect man, the measure of the fullness of the of the fullness of Christ. So what he's saying here is he says, this is the job of the fivefold ministry. To get you to see Jesus as a perfect man and the Christ. Where you come to the unity of the faith, where you say the Christ is not just for Jews. But where you say that the rulership over sin and death is for all people, wherein there is a perfect man and you understand the full stature of this man seated at the right hand of God Jesus the Messiah over sin and death ruling over sin and death our Messiah the Messiah of the Jew as well as the Gentile delivering mankind from the oppression leading them into the promise God had from the beginning which is eternal life that is what the church needs to come to. And I think that's why those offices are, that's why they are there. Those gifts are there to teach that. Sadly, it is not taught that way. But that is what's written here. People have not come to the measure of the understanding of what it means to have the unity of the faith. There's still this Jewish-Gentile thing. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not against the Jews. I'm not saying... You know, we, if you say what I've said today, it's like you are treated as a Jew killer. And that's not true. That is not true. Thank God. Do you know that the Bible actually states that salvation is of the Jews? Do you know what that means? That means through the Jewish nation, you, the salvation would come. What And did it come? Yes. A Jew, Jesus, fulfilled Everything all the Jews had to do to be a light unto the world. W were the Jews the light unto the world? Yes, in one man, the Jew, Jesus, who is now called the Christ, the Messiah of all people. And when he did that, he fulfilled everything Jews had to be to the world. He was the light, the Jew, Jesus, which is now the Christ 
of all people. Amen. Now, church, you might say this is complicated, difficult teaching, whatever, but we need to understand these things. It's in the light, it's in the presence of wrong understanding that we find so much turmoil. Till we come to the unity of the faith. So what kind of a man am I? I am a man that has been united. Mankind has been united. I'm neither Jew nor Gentile. I can only see myself in Christ. And when you, he says, it says, it come to the unity of the faith and of the recognition where you recognize the Son of God, the perfect man. When you can recognize the Son of God, when you can come to the recognition of a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, what he's saying, he's not saying that we must come and we must as preachers develop people until they look like Jesus. It's not, that's God's job. We are there to teach the fullness of Christ and that people can come to the recognition of that fullness. Why? Because, and then the next verse, verse they, because then they will no more be babes, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the deceive, deceptiveness that is in some people. That's what he's saying. And from this revelation of the fullness of Christ, the perfect man and man relating to himself in that fullness, he will not be tossed to and fro by teachings like tithing, sowing and reaping, uh, 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 walking ten times around the town to get a breakthrough or uh, thinking that if we treat the Jews in a special way then God will bless us we will not fall around by those deceptive doctrines anymore so what is he saying he says Jesus is the Christ okay since Jesus is the Christ as he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. This gift is the grace of God. Out of this grace, there are people that came forth that has got the ability to explain to you who you are in Christ. Amen. I don't want to explain to you who you are in Jesus. I want to explain to you who you are in the Christ, in the perfect man that is seated at the right hand of God, never to die, who possesses all authority on earth, be it dominion, be it power, be it government, be it whatever. The South African government, the United States government, Donald Trump, uh, 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 the, 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 the ruler of any nation, be it, be it Putin, I don't care who it is, I want to tell you he's dominion is subject to the Messiah. God is king of the world. He's already king. He's not going to be made king. He is king. He is the Messiah. And he is the perfect man without sin, without death, seated at the right hand of God. The church needs to come to the acknowledgement and to the knowledge of that man seeing no division on earth anymore, but that that truth and that is the truth about people, that we can know who and what we are. Amen. That's what he's saying. That's the job of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher. 
we've made the job of the apostle as the apostle is the one that's got rulership over the and then we I remember teaching it like that myself you know that the thumb can touch everyone so it means the thumb has got power over the prophet got power over this one got power over that one got power over that one and that he needs to inspire all these and I don't know what we've taught. Listen, we can come with all our thumb and finger teachings and all of that. That is all nonsense. What it's all about, and I want to say it with a passion in my heart, church. Preachers, we are there to show the Christ, to teach the Christ, the Messiah, the ruler over sin and death and present man with the perfect man Jesus that they can come to the recognition of his rulership and once the church understands that they will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine where they will not believe this lie again and that lie again you know my mother-in-law she was in a, in a church in Pretoria and she spoke to me about her uh, her preacher there and how he was grabbing a hold of this message in Jesus and how when he started a church many people from many denominations came there and they wanted to force down their doctrines on this man but he didn't fall for any of them why because he understands Jesus is the Christ and he couldn't fall around and be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because he's come to the recognition of the fullness of the stature of Jesus. What that means is you've come to realize what he was raised up into and what it means when he is your Messiah and the Christ and what it means to you, who you are on account of that. Amen. Now I want to end off by just quickly going to Romans. Look, and, and when we go to Romans chapter 6, and it talks about sin. I mean, I've, I wanted to say a lot, uh, but I've already spoken about finances in the beginning, so I don't want to uh, use too much time. But if we look at Romans 6, and we're going to read from verse, um, verse 11, it says, let me read from, from verse 10, it says, For in that he died to sin, he died once, in that he lives, he lives unto God. So it says that Jesus died unto sin, and now, since he is the Messiah, seated at the right hand of God, the life that is inside him is, is alive on account of the life of God inside him. Don't have time to explain all of that. It says, So also you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and live and alive or living to God in Jesus the Christ our Lord. So what he's saying there, and this is when we look at the fullness of the stature of Christ, when we look at the fullness of the stature of Christ, we come and we realize this Christ rules over my sin and over my death and I don't have to try and shove it by willpower. I am now at a place where His dominion is over me. It's like um, in, the, in the new and old South Africa. I think I've mentioned, I've mentioned so many times. Since I'm in the new South Africa, uh, those people and that were oppressed and we can find the the black folk were oppressed but white folk were also oppressed we were oppressed under the lie of thinking that racism is right we were all equally oppressed we were also deceived so when freedom came freedom came for all and now 
when, when somebody is being shouted at in a degrading manner or some of the words that's used that aren't allowed, it's, it's against the law to use them because you can be sued for that, use where you would degrade black people and those kind of things. If I use that word towards a black person, do you know what? He doesn't have to try and vindicate himself. He can just make use of the freedom that was given him and he goes to the, go, to, to the officials and, and lay a, 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 bring a charge and say, this man called me this and that. And you know what will happen? The power of the government will deal with that which oppresses that person and remove it. And that is how, it, that's what it means if you come to the understanding of the fullness of the stature of Christ. In South Africa, we have not, we, just in a normal democracy, so many people have not even come to the understanding of the fullness of the stature of democracy. How, now, now we talk about Christ, the Messiah. The job of the church is, or the church, uh, uh, the, the fivefold, if you want to call the fivefold, oh, I, I don't like that word, but we call it the fivefold, is to teach people the fullness of the stature, the revelation of what it means if a man is seated at the right hand of God that's conquered sin and death. So that they can come and they can actually look at that Jesus that has died unto sin and that is alive unto God and understand what it means. Church, we, we need a, I, I don't say we don't have to encourage, let us encourage one another. Thank God for today is the day of our breakthrough or whatever we want to call it. I want to say to you 2,000 years ago, Jesus broke through the heavens, entered our darkness, grabbed us, pulled us up, uh, uh, put a man at the right hand of God who, who dominates and rules over sickness, sin and disease. And as we welcome that truth into our hearts, we find him ruling and judging and bringing forth life by the power of the truth of who he is in our lives. And so we start love on one another, we care for one another, and we live in the love of God. In 11, he says, So ye also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You see, since the church is still struggling to come to the understanding of the fullness of the stature of Christ and what it means, and they are still tossed to and fro by all winds of doctrine of quick steps to prosperity, five steps to a breakthrough, uh, whatever is in the charismatic Pentecostal church going around in the world, um, uh, uh, traditions and, 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 and all those kind of things, and because they don't understand that and they don't see the truth in that, we cannot apply, we cannot reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Why can't we reckon ourselves dead unto sin? It's because we cannot, we don't understand the mathematical equation of a man seated at the right hand of God that has conquered sin and conquered death and now rules over sin and death because he conquered my sin, conquered my death because he was born of a virgin, innocent, blameless, took it upon him, died it away, was raised up, conquered over it and now he's establishing his kingdom and manifesting, I don't want to say establish, manifesting the kingdom he established in his resurrection in the earth wherein we don't resist sin but where God resists sin wherein he brings life and freedom to us. 
because we don't understand that fullness of the stature and we haven't, the church is ignorant on that, they cannot make the reckoning. They cannot see the mathematical, if you want to call it like that, or the, or the, the theological calculation. They cannot make that. It says, So ye also reckon yourselves indeed to be dead unto sin and alive unto God and Christ. Let then or therefore sin not reign in your mortal body. And then it says here, Neither present ye yourselves members or instruments unto unrighteousness. That word uh, present there is like a presenter where when he presents someone, he will come and he will say, This is so and so. Um, and he will tell everything he's done and present him as, if you present Tiger Woods, you would present him as a golf player. If you present, um, if I would present Joseph Prince, I would present him as a preacher of the grace message or whatever. In the very same way, the Bible says we can present our members not as instruments of unrighteousness. Why? Because we have beheld the fullness of his lordship and what it means in our lives. So I want to say to you, who are you? Behold the Christ. You are a man that is on the earth, that has got someone that is, has conquered your sin and your death. He is the Lord, he is the King, and he rules over the universe. He is greater than Putin, he is greater than uh, 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 any any president there is, he's greater than uh, any, you, you, can, you can name any king, any great power, he's greater than the Illuminati, he's greater than anything. He is the Lord and he rules and reigns and his kingdom is being established in the earth and he rules over sin and over death and all that does wickedly will be uprooted and only life and righteousness will remain on the earth by the doing of one that is greater than a Donald Trump, that is greater than a, a, a Putin, that is greater than a Jacob Zuma. I want to say to South Africans, our Lord Jesus is greater than the government. Zabati, you shouldn't talk like that, you can be locked up. Well, the early church, the people were locked up for what they preached. Why? Because they preached Jesus as the Lord. And that Lordship is in lording over sin and death, wherein righteousness shall prevail in the earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I want to say to you, and you want to say, well, how am I going to make this practical? I'm ending off. This is how you make it practical. See the Messiah. Ask the Lord, Lord, please show me the measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to come unto the measure of the fullness of Christ. Meaning, doesn't mean I want to manifest the measure of the fullness of Christ in me. No. I want to come unto the revelation. I want to come and face the fullness of the measure of Christ wherein I understand the perfect man, Jesus, and how that pertains to me. And then you can know who and what you are. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And then I end off by saying to the preachers out there that watch this, let us preach Christ. Let us preach the Messiah 
as the one that was crucified and conquered sin and death. We're not going to preach the Messiah as the one that wants to lift up a certain nation. We're going to preach him as the one that was crucified and conquered the sin and death of all people, that they can believe upon it and appropriate the rule and the reign of the Messiah in their hearts and see how Christ brings forth his kingdom in their lives. Amen, amen. Please go and listen to this message several times. Uh, There's a lot in this and a lot to ponder on and think upon. But in conclusion, it's just a beholding the fullness of Christ. And as you behold that fullness, you will not be tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine and you will by that truth find peace in your life and uh, the love of Christ flooding your life. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate this uh, and allowing me to serve you. And then I want to ask those that watch this and you can, if you've got a, a friend that comes up, his name come in your mind and you think he needs to hear this, please share this with him. It might just help him a lot. Thank you so much for